Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. The government is accused of losing control of the cost of living crisis as protesters gather at the Thal warning of dire straits ahead. Our economy is going to collapse here over this because people will not be able to pay the electricity bill and now we're told there's a strong possibility that diesel and electricity could double or treble. Government numbers shrink after a Green Party rebellion. Eamon Ryan denies being put under pressure to discipline the two rebel TDs. It is tight, but I think, as I said, it's a well-functioning, stable and committed government. A stark UN warning today that the world is facing the greatest food security crisis of our times, including the risk of global famine. And more on the mysterious monkeypox virus outbreak, which is deeply concerning health officials worldwide. Get in touch on Twitter with your comments and your questions on the hashtag TonightVMTV. Tonight, the government's been accused of losing control of the cost of living crisis amid soaring bills for energy, fuel, food, rent and childcare. The Thornish, however, has defended the coalition's response to the surge in inflation just as a demonstration about prices was taking place today outside the gates of Leinster House. Inside, the politicians were arguing over the issue. When they tell us that they're facing serious choices in this year of 2022 about how to heat their homes, how to clothe their children, how to put food on the table. As we all acknowledge, a lot of these inflationary pressures are beyond the control of governments, uh, or at least the Irish government, because they're driven by international factors. But there are areas where we can help and can do more, such as childcare, such as the cost of public transport, and we are working on proposals in those areas. Uh, Meanwhile, the UN's uh, Secretary-General, Antonio Guterres, says the war in Ukraine is creating the greatest global food crisis of our time, Russia and Ukraine produce a third of the world's wheat supply and the loss of commodities because of the war has resulted in soaring food prices and uncertainty about the future of food security globally. There is no effective solution to the food crisis without reintegrating Ukraine's food production as well as the food and fertilizer products produced by Russia and Belarus into world markets despite the war. Russia must permit the safe and secure export of grain stored in Ukrainian ports. Well, I'm joined by Senator Pauline O'Reilly, chairperson of the Green Party, independent TD Michael Fitzmaurice, Irish Daily Mail executive editor John Lee and former Fine Gael TD and pharmacist Kate O'Connell. You're all very welcome along to the programme tonight. And um, to start with you, John Lee, the protest that took place. It was organised by the Cost of Living Coalition, a new grouping supported by the left and trade unions, a significant number of elderly people, of students, of single parents who are all really worried about this cost of living crisis. 
we're living in. They're clearly saying the government isn't really grappling with it well. Yes, I passed them on the way into Leinster House today. They were um, a good-humoured, um, friendly crowd of people, which isn't always the case. So they struck me as reasoned, uh, clear-thinking people. But it, it takes something to get you to the gates of Leinster House to protest about these things. How much reaction they're going to get from the government um, or action is doubtful. From what Leo Varadkar said, leaders' questions while they were there. Um, he's repeated the mantra, there isn't much they can do. Uh, all the international uh, predicators and signals are that, that it's all going to get worse. Interest rates, the Bank of England, the Fed have said this week already that they're expected to go much higher. That increases what I think sometimes we're inclined to overlook when we're looking at the, at, at the cost of living crisis. The major driver of the cost of living in the Irish economy is, is housing. Uh, a lot of housing is dependent, obviously, on uh, how you pay your mortgage. Uh, rent is often linked to the cost of the mortgages yeah. that are, it's one that are, thing, that are it's being paid back. one thing that Pierre Starty was, was, was calling the Thornsha out on today. He was saying, you know, what the opposition wants and the things that actually the government can do are social welfare rates increase, a rise in the minimum wage, and to bring in targeted measures for renters and ban rent increases, that there are measures... Um, that, that the government can do and, and they're choosing not to? Well, it, it depends on what, you know, all that is, all of, all of that is fantastic conceptually when you're not in government. But it depends on what you define this cost of living crisis as. If it's inflation, the wrong way to tackle it, I'm not saying it's not going to happen, is to increase, uh, is, is to increase wages and to increase social welfare. Per, but that's not to say those political pressures won't come. But raising social welfare, which they undoubtedly may have to do, raising wages as the unions demanded today, will only increase the cost of living. I suppose the problem for many people watching is, you know, this, um, and we, we gave all the warnings at the start of the programme, you know, this isn't going away. In fact, it's likely to worsen. And if we're not going to take these actions, people are really worried about what's going to happen. They're worried now. They're going to be pretty worried now in the coming months into next year. There's no let up in any of this. So is the government going to do more? And should there be an emergency budget or something done before October on this, Pauline? Well, I think the first thing to say is we're absolutely in a cost of living crisis. I think that everybody recognises that and, and that it is more or less worldwide. And there are a lot of pressures outside of Ireland. We've certainly seen inflation rise to 7%, which is the highest for 22 years. And with all of that in mind, you know, I, I would agree to, to an extent that if we look at the 1970s, that constant chase, um, chasing wages um, to, to, to match inflation, that does have a negative impact as well. So you'd and say over no time, to that? No, we do need to do some of that. And I mean, the, the, uh, Minister McGrath was very clear on that, but it it does require some balancing to make sure that actually it is going to help people in the end of the day and it's not going to leave a lasting legacy that um, is actually not going to help with the cost okay, of living so, fundamentally. So, so a little bit, but not, not, to, well, meet, not well, to meet the well, cost of living and the two, rising cost well, there's two, all around. Two, uh, 2.4 billion has already been put in, um, you know, to, to meet these demands. People will have uh, received €200 Euro back this month on their electricity See, bill. A lot of people that will say come that €200 Euro credit, it'll already have been wiped of, out of by, by the rises that we're seeing uh, right of, across of the board. Of course, and, I, and, I, and you know, I think we all recognise that. Um, but all of these measures are things that the government have done. They've put money on fuel allowance. 
that decrease, but from uh, 13.5% to 9%. But look, I mean, I'm meeting the exact same people that everyone else is, and people are feeling the pinch. And, and I think that there's more that we can do around childcare. There'll be a, a fee freeze for most people um, from September when it comes to okay, childcare costs. We'll get into to that in a moment. Michael Fitzmaurice, when you when we're hearing what Pauline has to say and indeed what, what we heard in the Dáil today from the Thornish said that a lot of these matters are out of our control to an extent, do you think the government could be doing more or are, 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 they, are they stuck to a certain extent in matters in which they, they can't actually manage because it's out of Well, control? first of all, there are certain matters out of their control. A government cannot control everything in the world. Um, there are things that can be done, but I think we need to be looking across uh, the pond a bit um, with Europe where they control VAT and they don't seem to have made a decision on the likes of white diesel or, you know, that type of stuff that seem to be holding a gun at Ireland's hands. And also, whether we like it or whether we don't, um, the food policy of, that Europe has pursued over the last 20 years now seems to have failed. And isn't it ironic that if someone produces 25% or 30% of something, let's look at Russia. 25% of the fuel that came into Europe was from Russia. Um, but it seems to have a massive effect when that goes. And when you, when you put sanctions on a country, and rightly so the sanctions were put on the likes of Putin, when you put sanctions on a country, be it on oil or gas, it should affect the person that's being bold. But what is happening here is the rest of the people of Europe are suffering because we don't seem to have another valve in the line of be it the Arab countries or whatever, to up the output to get the fuel in. So what, are you need. saying we shouldn't have sanctioned well, what I'm saying, or those look moves? Look, you have, moves you, you have, to, do, you have to do sanctions. But what you have to do is make sure that when you're doing them, that you have another avenue that you will secure the future of your people. Because the, the facts are here. But well, this is and where the renewables come in. The let, renew, well, the renewables you're not going to have renewables inside a month or, or three months. Just like, let's live in the real world. You're going to have them in six, eight, ten years' time. What we, need, what we needed to do was have deals done with other countries to try and fill that vacancy. And what we are now facing... Of course, we are not... What we are now, yeah, but what we are now facing, and this is the reality for all of Europe, yeah. it's not alone Ireland, that we could end up in a recession because of the road we have taken. All right. Okay, uh, Kate, just to, to, to bring you in and back to a point that Pauline was making around childcare. And it was something that the Thornish again brought up today when he was asked by opposition, look, what are you going to do? And he said, look, we'll look at public transport and we're looking at childcare measures. Um, that's a huge burden for many people. It is a second mortgage. It's more than a second mortgage for many people. Yeah, I often joke that the happiest day of my life was the final crash bill. Um, you know, it's normally your wedding day, but um, in my, my house was the, the final crash bill. It's, it's, it's another mortgage for most families. But we're, um, and we're, we're an outlier. And in yeah, Europe. we are an outlier. And, you know, for the last 10 years, there has been moved towards helping in that space. But there is the ETSI scheme, but really, like, that was almost inflationary to some extent in the sector. A lot of private pri pri childcare providers, you know, just absorb the ETSI grant in. Some places don't accept it. And we still have people who can't go back to the workforce because they can't get a childcare place, even if they can afford to pay it. And the challenge is for families that you know, need to work, they need two incomes coming in or one income, depending on the family. They need to put their child in, in, in childcare. And they just can't avoid that expense. The same as the transport to work. You know, you, you have to get to work. So the, the, there's, I suppose, ex extra expense coming into people's lives in areas that they just can't cut back on. It, and that's where the squeeze think, comes from. Yeah, I think the problem is, and you said it there, you know, it hasn't been 
um, dealt with properly for a decade, for longer than that, for people who are paying childcare, they'll know all about in, it. In most families, it's not worth your while to work, you know, if, in order to pay the, the creche bill. Most people have to make that balance. So is when the, you were in government, like, I mean, what, I mean, why wasn't there more of a push to do something around this? Well, there like, was here at the time when, when I was, now, when I was part of the government party. Catherine Zappone was Minister for Children. Um, and, you know, we had gone to where many of us backbenchers had gone with proposals in terms of, you know, tax relief, in terms of the employer. Um, like, I know as an employer that I really value um, people with families who work for me and we do our very best to support people during that time in their lives. But not all employers are like that. And I think it's important that the employer um, supports families as well as the government yeah. um, in order to pay for childcare. Any hint, John, of what um, the Thonish is alluding to there when he's talking about measures on childcare? Or is this what was announced in the budget last year coming to fruition come September, which I think Pauline was mentioning about a freeze or a little respite for for families as part of subvention of, of childcare providers? Well, I was wondering, um, when I heard childcare was going to be dealt with, um, I felt like Groundhog Day. Uh, I remember having speaking to a minister before the budget, and I hope I don't give away who it is, but, but you know, some of them have an understanding, I think, of how you, struggling families with young children struggle. And I, I, I was the one conversation I remember from the budget um, stories that we do in the run-up. There was half billion projected in tax cuts, tax cuts that were there to help the struggling middle and all this kind of lark. But I remember the minister saying to me that to do something dramatic with childcare, do, dramatic now, it would only have cost them in the last budget three hundred. Um, Three, uh, 300 million quid. I think that's the point the, the Labour there, Party have been making. They have been pushing for this public childcare model that we see in many other countries. I think there is no political will whatsoever to deal with childcare. There never has been. Um, one would nearly have to look, I think, at the, um, the general, I don't want to be unkind here, but the general profile of some of our senior ministers. I think they're too disconnected from um, the struggles I mean, of, just, I, I just, just finished just the struggles of, of average people because they plainly have no inkling of how difficult it is to deal with childcare and they do nothing about it. So we, Leo Varadkar has got up once again, I think, and said, yeah, I will do something with childcare, but they won't. Well, I, I think these personal jabs at, at ministers are, 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 you know... Well, if you realise really, exactly what I said well, no, there, there was no yeah, personal jab well, no, whatsoever. Well, no, it's not about the profile of the ministers. It's actually about what people are doing. And, um, yeah, you know, there a lack of political Which are a deterrent for women going back to work, which are a huge squeeze on families. No, look, absolutely. I completely agree with the situation that we have found ourselves in after decades of underinvestment, I'd agree. It has been underinvestment well, in childcare. Now, but we, it's had, also we had Fine Gael in government, we had Fianna Fáil supporting them, now you've got Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil. You're in there, you're in the mix as well. The Greens are well, in the mix. Well, we are, and Roderick O'Gorman is the minister, and, and right. this, 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 uh, this fee freeze is coming from what was, from uh, Roderick That was from the budget department. announcement last but year. There, but there will be more coming. And, um, and, and I do believe that childcare will be tackled um, with significant funding and there was a, a huge Clear. increase the, in funding last year. All the childcare grants now are for normal time working childcare. 
There's nothing for a guard. There's nothing for a doctor that's working on call. There's nothing for a nurse. You, the grants don't fit into the model that works outside ordinary working hours, where lots of our workforce are in that space. And, the, the and there's thing... no grant towards childcare in the home. And many people, for whatever the reason be, the child's particular needs or their family circumstances, or commute well, times I, and the yeah, price look, of that, as, it's as, just as, not as, suitable. Just, just, so there has to be to more say, flexibility right, for how yeah. people actually live their lives. There, as, as a country, if you look at the finances, and thankfully they were, they're looking fairly good that we were able to put off uh, going for a, a bond, or at a bond sale. We didn't have to go borrow, I think it's for June. And if you go by the figure that John has talked about, there should be no reason why, like 300 million, if it's the silver bullet that will help the families. But as Kate has said, um, while some families might, have, might get help, there is an awful lot of Middle Ireland, what I call Middle Ireland, the nurse, the doctor, all those people, that don't get much help out there. And they're the people that we need to start concentrating on because they are really suffering. They don't get fuel allowance. They don't get all of these things. That's rightly so. Yeah. They are for them, for a certain amount of people. But they're left in a vacuum and have been left in vacuums and they need to be sorted because they are actually, they are actually the new poor okay. of Ireland. Okay. Um, just to... Just to move on to uh, another uh, big story uh, that came up again in recent days, and Thornton Leo Bradker says that there's no fear of an early general election despite the government's majority in the Dáil being reduced to the bare minimum. It's after two TDs were kicked out of the Greens Parliamentary Party for six months after disobeying a voting instruction on the National Maternity Hospital. Here's the Green Party leader, Eamon Ryan, on that. When you're strong in government, working with your coalition partners, when everyone votes with government... Um, for that reason, and it was with regret, re, uh, the Chief Whip came and the Parliamentary Party agreed that we should sus suspend two members who hadn't. Firstly, we're two years into government and it's the Whip's call to make a decision in terms of what's the appropriate sanction and we felt that was the right and appropriate one. The right and appropriate call, according to Eamon Ryan, was everyone in the Green Party on board? Look, um, I think the, even the two TDs themselves were aware that there would be sanctions um, and... And certainly one of the TDs had mentioned that before, um, but uh, six the, other, the other has faced sanctions was there, previously. Was there a surprise at six months and, and where, did that, you know, where did that sanction and that period of time we, come from? We are a couple of years into government. Um, we have been achieving. We've um, recent achievements in terms of the, you know, the national retrofit programme. Oh no, I'm uh, talking now about no, the sanctioning of this the... Is important. this is important. So we, oh, no. we need, you know... Oh, and I recognise that there are policies part, that the Green Party want yeah. to pursue, but just, Paul O'Reilly, just on that suspension of the TDs, was everyone on board or was there anyone voicing an opinion to the country that this was harsh on two TDs who probably represent the views of many of your party? I, uh, certainly not, not to me. And, and there was consensus in the meeting uh, to support the whip. And, and is there, as the minister is says... Is there? It, because that's how it looks, a, a lack of unity, a lack of cohesion within the Greens, not, within not. the coalition. Not at all. Uh, and I think that that was really clear in relation to this. We do have a unity of purpose. Um, and I think that the things that, to just to go back, the things that we are achieving mean that we really want to be there and be in the mix. It's really important to have okay. the Greens in the mix. Um, but that means you work together and take responsibility together for decisions in government. And if you That's don't, the way a coalition six, works. six months out in the cold. Um, John Lee, on this, the government still has a majority with the suspension of Patrick Costello and Nasa Horgan, but described in the Dáil today, I think by Mick Barry, as one that was paper thin and vulnerable to pressure. Would you agree? I think, and maybe I might be disagreeing with some commentators, I think this has really damaged morale and government. Uh, I think they're going to struggle. Uh, 
with some of the issues we dealt with, not necessarily some things like turf and, and other things that people have mentioned the last few days, but some of the issues we mentioned at the outset of the show that are going to cause co um, huge pressures on all on the three government parties come the budget, for instance, when we're talking about raise, raising social welfare. What is going to be acceptable in the old age pension to deal with the pressures on, on old folk at the moment? I think this, this has marked uh, a bit of a Rubicon for the government. I would think some of the ways the Green Party has dealt with um, dissent in its party have been very odd. Um, were inclined. How so? There was a there was a an inter an interregnum during this government of, of a pandemic. So a lot of ordinary politics wasn't to play. But Nessa Harrigan and um, and Patrick uh, Costello have been sceptics about this coalition from the outset. Nessa Harrigan bizarrely vote uh, uh, did not vote to back the, the program for government, even though she had negotiated it. Uh, uh, pa Patrick Costello similarly. Uh, a month after the government was formed, this has all been kind of forgotten, and I had to re remind a couple of ministers of it. This evening. Um, Vanessa Harrigan voted, did not vote with the government on some on a particular thing. Lost a um, piece of housing legislation. Lo lost yeah. two months voting rights, but also and, and it's been overseen. I think this is unprecedented in Irish politics. A government minister, a green go government minister, also on that day voted against the government, didn't support the government, and remained a minister. You know, so there's one rule for uh, Fianna Fáil TDs, for instance, like Mark McSharry, who was who barely got his seat down in the PAC before he was thrown off it. And the Greens seem to wander through, like, you know, we're tree huggers and we don't have to face I think the, 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 the proper discipline of a, a coalition government. And I think two months off they go, yet ministers are allowed to vote against the government and, and, and there's no sanction whatsoever that, for that two months. That wasn't true, actually. But really, two months for anyway, uh, yeah. voting rights. Excuse yeah. me, voting rights, uh, speaking rights re removed. Mm. But for most of those two months, the, the doll wasn't sitting. Yet he remained a minister. Also, Nasa Harrigan has retained just, her chair mm -hmm. uh, in a committee today. No penalty whatsoever I, I when it comes to that. just want to allow Pauline to respond and to the that. And the 10 grand a month within with the party it. that's no, not being sanctioned. I, look, I, I think that what, what this has shown is that there is unity of purpose that we want to be in government. Um, and clearly Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil each reduced their minister, uh, their TDs by one. And so we are at a paper thin level. But I think that this demonstrates the importance of a whip. Okay. Every party, okay. opposition or otherwise, uh, has a whip. Um, but, you know, they we would love to see them back in six months' time, right. back into and the brief, fold. Briefly, before we leave this issue, Michael Fitzmaurice, this teeny majority, um, independents are now on a strong footing. Uh, would you be uh, inclined at all to broker a deal pledging government support in exchange for, you know, getting your way on certain constituency issues? Well, first, first of all, we're not parish punk politicians. That's the first thing I want to be clear. It's not just about constituency. Um, a lot of independence and fairness to them deal with regional and national issues. Um, in the line of uh, your question, what you have, what you have asked, um, I vote on a case-by-case -case basis. I vote with the government. I vote against the government, depending on what it is. But in my opinion, there are plenty of independents there that are pretty, you know, uh, solid people that would sit down with any government, any 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 amount them? of the parties. But but let's be clear on this: when we sat okay. down in 2020, we were told right. that the Greens were coming in. But the sooner, and this isn't for independence, and it's not for Sinn Fein. Every day that goes by that they're in government with the Greens, 
um, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil are losing votes to Sinn Féin. It is a bonanza for Sinn Féin the longer that Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil stay in government with the Greens. OK, uh, well, we know you do have strong views on the Green Party, Michael Fitzmaurice, mm. but there we have to leave. Well, I'm making them clear. <laughs> You're making them clear. Not My for the first time, Michael. <laughs> to Pauline and Michael. John and Kate are staying with me to look at some other big stories of the week. Stay with us. Welcome back, John and Kate are still with me and I'm also joined now by Catherine Sands, legal correspondent with the Business Post for a look at some of the big stories of the week. Um, first to the maternity hospital row, it did. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Rumble on. Um and uh, obviously we had the culmination of that being the, the Green TDs who were, who were sanctioned um, from their party and uh, more problems, I guess, for the coalition in seeking unity on all of this. However, the plan has gone through from a legal point of view, Catherine. Do you think the last couple of weeks brought any clarity to the matter? Um, you know, I tried to imagine the situation in which the term clinically appropriate, because that was a term that was, that was the most contentious, right? And I tried to imagine a situation in which that term would be potentially uh, challenged. Like maybe somebody was refused a service at the hospital and we had to go to court and that term had to be hashed out. In the de- and I just, I had a hard time imagining that the courts wouldn't have, I guess, faith in upholding like what the intention was behind that, especially the superior courts in this country. So I do think that the way that they debated it, uh, I think brought clarity for a lot of people, but I also couldn't see a situation that resulted in the, the turmoil that I think a lot of people were worried about. Yeah. John, from a strategy point of view, though, for government, you know, there was always likely to be fallout with something that was so important, such an important issue. I mean, the building of a new maternity hospital at a cost of €1 billion to the state. And then this uncertainty about what the land deal was behind that. Um, Did the government get it right with their two weeks to mull this over? Um, or, Or how do you think it's all played out for them in the long run? 
I think I think they I think the right decision was to delay it by two weeks and then, and then progress. You know, if you've ministers at cabinet, uh, women ministers in particular, feeling that they were somehow blindsided on this, then that was the best thing to do. There was someone Finnegale told me that. Stephen Donnelly was a bit unlucky. This is the, the pivotal cabinet meeting that there had been an incident a few months before where Norma Foley, they felt, Fine Gael ministers, I'm not arguing the rights or wrong of this, had brought a plan of the Leaving Cert to cabinet and they had felt uh, ill-prepared for that, that they hadn't been given proper warning of it. And the Fine Gael ministers had decided, this Fine Gael source told me, that the next person up to do the same thing, they were going to be told to hold it. Now, I think Stephen Donnelly was under a bit of pressure on all sides, as the health minister invariably seems to be. Yeah. And I, I, it, it got out of control. How it could have been kept under control, I don't know. I think the suspicions in Ireland um, from certain sectors of society of the Catholic Church are so deep-seated that they're difficult to counter with logic. Uh, I'm not saying they're illogical, but... No, look, and a lot the, of people did come out, you know, we had Peter... Peter Boylan, former master at the hospital, coming out. You had legal experts saying, look, it is, it is problematic, this line about clin clinical appropriateness. And there were a lot of women up and down the country who were concerned about this, so much so that, that there were protests, you know, people took to the streets over the matter. Absolutely. So the, 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 the suspicion was there. I don't know if that suspicion was warranted, but certainly it seems to have been overridden um, the concerns were overridden by clinicians and by the politicians themselves. And, and, and Kate might feel that um, Fine Gael handled it well in the end. Might I? <laughs> I might, might. I said might. I, I don't know. Might. You're, you're a former ask, Fine Gael TD, so you can tell me. Um, well, I, I mean, I, I do think, you know, people are dead right to be more than slightly suspicious because it's not like we've had all these sorts of suspicions about what went on the last 100 years in Ireland. Mm. We have actual hard facts. And I don't think it's fair to say, I think it's unfortunate that it's only women ministers, it appears, were concerned and pushed the pause button. But, um, and I don't think it's just women up and down the country that were um, uneasy with what went on and some, you know, normal people going about their lives. I think... Any mention of the Sisters of Charity or nuns in the same sentence as maternity mm. care would kind of freak the life out of you. But that said, um, I think the government have done the right thing in, in the sense them as a government to survive. There was never, to my mind, any intention of changing any of the text. It was really a merry dance just to placate the, the feelings of people around the country and to let the women ministers and the Greens deal. air their views. Um, and I personally, which I've, I've followed this story for many years, it's going to be really interesting to see the next phase of it. Because how do we practically, you know, for anyone who's gone to see the children's hospital um, and you see that the construction work, the difficulty of the site and putting a modern building like that plonk into beside James's, we haven't even got to that conversation of no, building this, is this hospital and how services will be shared. Hmm? Yeah, yeah, and how services yeah. will actually be shared. And I suppose I'm, I'm always mindful of the fact that, and someone wrote a letter to the paper today, I glanced at it this morning, you know, symphysiotomy was clinically appropriate in one at one time. Whipping out your womb just for the sake of it was, was clinically appropriate. Um, there was uh, practices within Irish healthcare mm -hmm that are considered barbaric now and continued in Ireland yeah. for some time I, after I think, other jurisdictions. And I think critics of it, including Nasa Harrigan, uh, who, who ultimately paid the price, were saying, 
it's the rights of the patient, the rights of women who attend this yeah, hospital. Yeah, and that like, needs to be even if you in. go back, I, and, and like I, when I employ a lot of young people, and I speak to them about when we have so much pills and, and contraceptives and stuff on the shelf, and my mother-in-law is 82 working with me, and she's of the era as a pharmacist who had the condoms in the safe and the contraceptives and strict rules, and pharmacists and doctors policed people's sex lives married people's sex lives as well as everyone else's sex lives. So that happened in my lifetime and I'm not that old. So I think people are right to be cautious. I think people are damn right to be suspicious. And I think that um, it's, it's interesting, a bit like the childcare, um, you know, you get what you, you get, you, I suppose you, 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 you get representative government for what people vote for. And, and in cabinet, mm. we had a certain amount of women there that came out and questioned it. What if there was more women? Would it have been a different outcome? I don't know. Interesting uh, question to pose there. Mm. Uh, to talk about what's happening up north, Catherine, um, we had Boris Johnson in Belfast, Mary Lou Macdonald saying what we needed to hear from the British Prime Minister this week was that the executive must be formed. That simply did not happen. In fact, Downing Street upping the ante, really, in this whole protocol row. Um, it's a mess. And for the people of the north, there's, there's a stalemate in Stormont yet again. Yeah. Um, we had Liz Truss saying today about publishing the legal statement backing uh, her claim to unilaterally scrap the protocol. So I think a lot of people will be waiting for that. But I think she might be in more hot water over the turnips comment. I think that's kind of more of the issue at the Explain moment. Explain that one. She said she made some comment about... Uh, turnips in trucks or something. Yeah, turnips in the back of trucks. That the last time, I, this is an allegation, somebody overheard her saying this, that she, that's something about, oh, the only people that are concerned about uh, trucks crossing the border are farmers, with, Irish farmers with turnips in the back. So I think that's caused a lot of, of unrest. And it's just brought up a lot of feelings of like, you know, is this where we are? It's 2022. And, you, yeah, you know, do you I, still... What, what Liz Truss was saying around this was she's promised to publish this legal statement backing up her claim that unilaterally unilaterally scrapping parts of the, the Northern Ireland Protocol that was, of course, agreed by Boris Johnson won't breach international law. Um, how is that possible, John? Um, I don't think they care if it breaches international law. I think sometimes we're inclined to look at um, Boris Johnson's administration and expect logic. But, you know, it, it, it's all prefaced by what I thought was an illogical act, which was Brexit. But they got... Um, they, got, they were ushered into government with a huge majority, the backing of the English popu uh, British population for this policy. And no one and thought about the North then? I, I think they did. I think Johnson is, is, is a disruptor. We look at him in the wrong way. I think he's more of a Trump. He's more perhaps what Sinn Féin may become. He's a populist politician who likes well, to I row. don't think Sinn Féin would be happy with that one. Sinn Féin oh. themselves, um, Owen O'Brien, if you were to go back and look at what he has said, has, has said that they are a left-wing populist party. That's their own admission, right. so I'm not, I'm not saying anything. They are populist. Populist isn't always a pejorative term. Uh, Boris Johnson is... Um, pursuing what, what could be perceived to be a populist policy, which is Brexit. He is now in rows with his own civil servants. He's in rows over their own, with his own home office over um, uh, immigration policy. He's now coming into another row with the Irish government <clears throat> and with the Northern Irish government such that it exists. And in three weeks' time, sorry, in about a month's time, there are two by-elections in Leave constituencies in Britain. And there's a feeling in Britain that Boris Johnson will do anything to increase his, his, his profile as a pro-Brexit disruptor. And if that means the, the Irish population and people in Northern Ireland have to suffer, 
I don't think it comes into his political thinking and never has. All right, well, to another story in the news today and the Health Protection Surveillance Centre has said that there are no known cases of monkeypox in Ireland at present. The World Health Organisation is investigating cases of the virus in the UK, in Portugal, in Spain and in the US. It's normally contained to Central and Western Africa, but the recent cases do not seem to be linked to travel and the virus is spread through droplets and bodily fluids. Um, Kate, on this story, any viral spread is now catching global headlines. Uh, dozens of cases of monkeypox being confirmed in Europe. We're hearing about it as well in, in the UK. It's, it's already endemic in parts of Africa. This isn't a new virus, but one that's causing concern at how it's spreading. Uh, yeah, but I mean, I think that the, my understanding is the variant that's um, transmitting in, in Portugal and England is not as serious as the one in Africa and the, the death rate isn't as high, the fatality rate isn't as high and it's a self-limiting condition. It is a very frightening looking rash. It looks mm -hmm. like um, if you put a, a walnut under your skin, um, so it, it's, it's quite a shocking rash. Um, it seems to be transmitted through human contact and through a contact with the open sores. Um, but like that, it has to be tracked. It's, we have to watch the fact that it's emerging, you know, in new populations and to see the impact it has on overall health and if there's any connection to anything mm. else. But um, we have a very good setup in Ireland, happily since COVID and before COVID, for surveillance of viruses. So um, they will be sequencing the same way as with, um, if, if we get cases sequencing I mean, it's in the likely to... to come here well, if it's not more, it's, be here It is already. likely. It is yeah. likely. And like all healthcare professionals now will be sort of aware that it's in circulation and keeping an eye out for it. Yeah, um, there's one thing we've learned is to, to not let these things go unchecked. We'll leave it there. Lots more big stories of the week after this break, including the final day of evidence in the so-called Wag of the Christie trial. We hear the latest from London. Stay with us. Footballers' wives Colleen Rooney and Rebecca Vardy will have to wait to learn the outcome of their high-profile libel case. Our court reporter Deborah Naylor is in London covering the trial and took me through the final arguments. Yes, Claire, we're closing the case. Colleen Rooney's lawyers said today effectively that when she alleged in 2019 that Rebecca Vardy had leaked stories about her private life to the media, that she believed at that point that it was true. And they said today that having listened to all of the evidence, that Ms., uh, Mrs. Rooney was even more convinced of this now. They pointed today to the deliberate, what they said was the deliberate destruction of evidence in this case. And they said that Rebecca Vardy was an admitted leaker, someone who had formed in this area, someone who had directed her agent to leak stories about Mrs. Rooney to the Sun newspaper. Now, lawyers for Vardy today, they pointed to the fact, they said some of the evidence in the case, such as what we heard, uh, the, the 2016 euros about when Rebecca Vardy was allegedly trying to get in the background of photos when she was told to calm down by the England manager. They said that this was collateral evidence. It basically, they said, it took this case nowhere. They conceded, yes, the possible source of the link was her agent Caroline Watt but they said that Rebecca Vardy did not do it herself she did not direct anyone or authorise anyone to do it therefore she has been defamed and is owed substantial libel damages. So we heard closing arguments this afternoon what happens now? 
Well, that's it. Case done. Seven days of evidence in this case. It is all down to the judge now, uh, Mrs Justice Stein. It's up to her to make a ruling. We don't know when that will be. It could be a matter of weeks. It could be some up to three months. But just to reiterate, of course, that it was Rebecca Vardy suing Colleen Rooney for libel. Um, and because of this, under English libel law, it is up to Colleen Rooney to defend her case. Her lawyers must have proved that their client's original allegation was substantially true and in the public interest. And that is, of course, what Rebecca Vardy, Vardy's lawyers have sought to disprove. Of course, all of this dubbed the Wagatha Christie uh, trial or case. It's caught so much attention over the past seven days, as you say. How, in essence, though, is it all being viewed by the UK public? What's the general feeling around it? I think it's probably hard, Claire, to underestimate the, the amount of interest that is in this case. We've heard from months, are you on Team Vardy or, or Team Rooney? But of course, when you think about uh, the two women and the two men, you've Wayne Rooney, England's record goal scorer. He is, you know, revered here. You also have Jamie Vardy, a uh, Leicester City striker. And then there are two wives who are, who are two very powerful women in their own right. They're two very well known. No doubt this is a celebrity case. I think it's been viewed as such. It's been viewed as entertainment, but perhaps when you take the shiny veneer off that, we have heard evidence in this case. Colleen Rooney said when she was 16, that's when the media intrusion in their lives started. And she said this all started in 2017 when private stories about her life were being leaked to the sun. She said that was the reason why she set up uh, these fake stories on Instagram to find out who was the leak. And that is why she planted those stories. And of course, when she posted this on Twitter, one thing that both legal sides in this case agreed on, that the abuse directed at Rebecca Vardy in the aftermath of that. They both said it was vile and it was disgusting and she was trolled. So I think perhaps, you know, even though some of the evidence has been entertaining for many, it's been at sometimes fantastical, perhaps farcical, it does have a more, a more serious core to it. And for the two women at the centre of this case, they have referred to the fact about the effects of this litigation on them. I'd say it has perhaps taken its toll so you could potentially argue that one of them will win, they will not win financially, neither of them will make money from this. So you, you could maybe say the real winners are in this are the lawyers and maybe the media who've covered this case so intently over the past week. Okay, Deborah in London for us. Thank you for that. Well, my News Review panel is still here with me. Business Post legal correspondent Catherine Sands, Irish Daily Mail executive editor John Lee and former TD and pharmacist Kate O'Connell. Uh, and Catherine on this one, I mean, at the heart of it, there's an awful lot of money involved, really, apart from all of this stuff being dredged up um, between these two women. It's a three million pound case. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of money. I mean, I've watched it like, you know, like everybody else has. And I think it's been, you know, entertaining to say the least. But I think it's also just been just a bit of an insight into people that you think you know because you maybe read about it in the tabloids, but then you realize you peel back a layer and there's all this other, all their details that you never knew about. And, you know, a lot of people have expressed surprise that they willingly, or Rebecca Vardy willingly brought this into a courtroom, but it's nonetheless been fodder for the rest of us, for sure. Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, when you think about it, um, Rebecca Vardy brought this, brought this case up. I mean, this was something that sort of broke out and obviously the, the Wag of the Christie title that came with the with the tweet, I think, from Colleen Rooney saying, I found out who's been leaking, allegedly leaking stories about me. But essentially, this all was brought up again by one of the main women involved. And it seems, uh, I don't know, why would you do it? Why would you bring all this upon yourself again? Well, 
the cost mustn't mustn't bother them. You know, uh, if you're in the media business as 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 we are, um, and Kate understands the law, I think as a as a TD very well, former TD. Like the greatest fear you have is to end up in in court dealing with something like this because it's so eye-wateringly expensive. I, I, and I think our, our our defamation laws need huge reform, but they're very much based on common law that, that that pertains in Britain. It is hardly a signal to the public that this is something that is open to them. That if they feel their reputation is maligned, it, they don't they don't really have this outlet to get mm. a huge team of heavy little uh, hitting lawyers to go after some of the things that are done to them perhaps in the media, it's become a bit of a circus. And it, it doesn't, mm. not only does it not reflect well on the people involved, it doesn't reflect well. And the Daily well Mail must love it though. Absolutely, absolutely. And when we, were, we were talking off air that, you know, perhaps some of the people involved can write books about it after, after, afterwards and, and offset some of the costs. I mean, that's where we are in the world. And, but court cases have been covered by the Daily Mail and everyone else going back to the, to the 1850s. They are... Uh, manna from heaven for newspapers and, and websites now, uh, now as then. You know, and we, uh, also the argument we made that this is all really regressive when we're hearing terms like wags and all of this being brought up again. Um, but let's And poor move. Wade Rooney, everyone commenting on his appearance. I mean, that's awful, yeah, isn't it? That's tough, <laughs> you know. Although highly unusual, really. It's usually, it's usually the yeah. women. Um, you might get back and in training. There, is, there is a sadness, is though. True. There is a sadness in how it's impacted on both women mentally. I mean, from the evidence. Yeah, and that seems to yeah. have played out in court. And that's something that, that Deborah alluded to there. Um, the dark side, really, to all of this. Yeah, um, with someone like of... Colleen Rooney, who was in, uh, you know, in, in the media storm from such a young age. Um, but to, to move on to another story and... Uh, a clanger, really, by former US President George W. Bush, who accidentally condemned Vladimir Putin's invasion of Iraq before correcting himself, saying he was actually talking about Ukraine. Uh, the former US President made the gaffe while speaking in Dallas, Texas. Take a look. The result is an absence of checks and balances in Russia and the decision of one man to launch a wholly unjustified and brutal invasion of Iraq. I mean, of Ukraine. <laughs> Iraq, too. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> 75. Uh, <laughs> here's the thing, and I hope people take it away from this uh, series of uh, seminars and discussions. Oh, God. It's actually painful to watch, isn't it, Kate? You know, among his many foot-and-mouth moments, I think before he said I, he, I was, just think the last... he was misunderestimated. Um, it's not the first time he's done it, but also the comment in itself when he was talking about one man launching a wholly unjustified and brutal invasion of Iraq. I mean, who was he talking about? Yes, it's, it's actually very difficult to listen to it. And even the, the kind of smirky grin just finished me off there looking at it. I didn't see I didn't actually see it um, until now. Yeah. Um, and like essentially talking about himself, really. But um you know, using yeah, age as using age as an excuse. There's yeah. plenty of people, 75, functioning very well in society, and they don't use age as an excuse. It seems like a weak enough excuse. It does. It does actually. And the, we heard the audience laughing along there, but it was a reminder actually of of the consequences of that of that war that that set off a major civil war for Iraq, resulting in the yeah. deaths of hundreds of thousands of people, and really left U.S. reputation on a global stage in tatters. Yeah. 
And you thought about, when I watched it, I thought about how many times he must have said that over and over again, the way he was always talking about the war in Iraq, the war in Iraq. And it must have almost seemed like some kind of like hypnosis thing that he was like saying it. And I was like, what year is it? It was very weird. And it definitely brought back a lot of weird memories, I think, for the country in general. Shock and awe, wasn't that? Iraq, shock, Operation Shock yeah. and awe. Yeah. And, uh, weapons of mass destruction that turned out to be nowhere to be found. Um, on yeah. to a bit of a good news story at the end, Ukraine winning the Eurovision. Um, now the Brits will feel really sore about this one because they would have won it for the first time in God knows how long if it wasn't <laughs> for um, um, the Ukrainians with their 631 points, I think it was. It's just interesting, isn't it, the way this is all played out um, on the pop stage, what's happening in Europe, John? I was hoping you're going to continue talking with George Bush, who I was lucky enough to meet a few times, but I have not. I've, watched, I've met George Bush more times than I have um, watched the Eurovision. I'm not a fan, I, I must admit. I do follow it. I used to bet on it, and I, I did see they won. And they've won it three times in the last, since they entered the, yeah, entered their, the competition. Yeah, their entries are four. amazing. But I assume the song is they, a they, joke. And they take it very you, seriously, as increasingly countries really yeah, are. I think they're, they they're, should do. do. People they watch should the do. Eurovision anymore. They, do, they should do. Watch the what I love about anymore. the Ukraine entry is how much they incorporate folk music into their entries. Like last year, they did the same thing. They had a flute playing. And this year, they also brought in the flute. And I feel like it's just a real nice homage to like their origins and stuff. Yeah, that's nice. So you're a fan. You actually like. I am you, a really you, big you, fan. Giving them the dues point. Well, I was uh, a big, I was a big fan of Norway too, so I don't know, but I definitely would have voted for them, of course. <laughs> yeah, and finally, look. Overall, it was a bad week for Vladimir Putin. Um, cultural icon that is McDonald's, um, representing the fall of the wall, uh, has now departed Russia. Mm, and they've sold over um, to a group, I think. And, and apparently they're going to keep the terms and conditions of the employees the same, which I kind of thought, really, are they? Um, you know, you can, in that situation, how does that actually happen in a wartime? Um, but they've, they've moved out. And um, I suppose it, it looks like the world is separating itself to some extent um, from, from Russia so far as is possible. But as Michael said earlier, when you're dependent on them for... For some things, it's very hard to completely separate. Okay, there we'll have to leave it. That is it from us. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. You can find us on Instagram now, tonight VMTV. From all the late team here, good night. Take care. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. 